Advances of AI in healthcare could be a game changer. It has this amazing potential to improve the accuracy and availability and accessibility of expertise in healthcare. And if used in diagnostics, it could save lives. Lung cancer is still the single biggest killer of all the cancers. And the most effective thing we can do to fight lung cancer is screening. But it needs regulation. The primary asset to protect in healthcare is patient data. And that is the bloodstream of every AI system that develops anything for healthcare. I'm Tom Parkin, and welcome to the Next Five podcast, brought to you by the FT Partner Studio. In this series, we ask industry experts about how their world will change in the next five years and the impact it will have on our day to day. We're taking a break from the norm with this episode, instead kicking off a special five-part mini-series where we take a deep dive into the world of AI. Each episode will focus on an industry sector where AI is having, and is set to have, a big impact. In this episode, we're tackling AI in healthcare, looking at the benefits, limitations, challenges, and of course, what the next five years will bring. AI has various definitions and acronyms associated. Generative AI is an umbrella term for systems that generate content from images, audio, code, and language. This is where another well-known term is associated. LLMs, or large language models, are a type of program that works with language. Think ChatGPT or Google's Palm. Lastly, foundation AI is a term that refers to systems that have broad applications. Large language models are often synonymously linked with foundation AI, as LLMs have far-reaching capabilities that can be adapted to specific purposes. In the medical arena, specific LLMs and foundation models offer unrivaled potential in many specialties, both clinically and in research. So, Tom, I think the benefits of AI in healthcare are really that it has this amazing potential to improve the accuracy and availability and accessibility of expertise in healthcare. This is Dr. Alan Carthur K. Salingham, Senior Staff Clinician Scientist and Research Lead at Google. The way we can imagine that happening are both by the assistance of those who are involved in care, imagine giving caregivers superpowers but also potentially directly helping everyday consumers with everything from access to information to empowering them with what they need to make the best decisions. So one of the frontiers we're exploring at Google is in foundation models and frontier models generally in AI. And we've been exploring that particularly in healthcare with a research breakthrough called MedPalm. This was a large language model that we published and shared with the world in December of last year. I was very lucky to have been the, the joint senior author of that work. And that was the first AI system that was ever demonstrated to be capable of reaching a pass mark on the kinds of questions you get in medical licensing exams. But what we were doing there really was exploring whether these large language models can be tuned to be reliable answerers of questions that you get in healthcare. And we showed that across a wide breadth of questions with 
this MedPalm system, that the AI was able to reliably answer the sorts of questions that consumers ask of Google, but also very technical questions that really test and probe its ability to recall medical facts and knowledge accurately. So for a system like MedPalm, it's much newer technology. That kind of technology is not yet mature enough or ready enough for use in explicitly diagnostic applications. Other examples, which are maybe closer to the clinical practice of medicine, are to do really with diagnostic expertise and trying to make tools that are useful and helpful to caregivers. Just one example is in the role of medical imaging, which plays a really important role in the diagnosis and treatment of many diseases. Imagine tools that can help uh, radiologists or ophthalmologists more quickly review an image or help identify which images are the most urgent and pressing for their attention. And there are now many examples, even with randomized trials coming through, of how AI tools are doing exactly that. Helping radiologists and ophthalmologists review images quickly and accurately have clear benefits. But to get the best results, partnerships are key. Google has partnered with experts in clinical screening, sharing technological advances to get AI to clinicians and patients quicker. So we do a lot of imaging, essentially MRI, CTs, mammograms, x-rays, uh, but only in the outpatient setting. This is Greg Sorensen, who oversees Aidance, a Netherlands-based AI company involved in clinical lung cancer screening. And Aidance had already had its own AI and in partnership with Google is now trying to um, elevate that to the next level to help improve lung cancer screening. Lung cancer is still the single biggest killer of all the cancers. It is uh, probably four times bigger than breast cancer and same thing four times bigger than in terms of the number of people killed every year as prostate cancer. And the most effective thing we can do to fight lung cancer is screening. When I started medical school, now four years ago, if 100 people got lung cancer, within five years, about 85 of them would die. And with all of the recent therapies and all the immunotherapies and all the great chemotherapy, if uh, you can treat, you can move that number from about 85 down to in the high 70s, unfortunately. So it's not that great, all the chemotherapies we have. And that's because lung cancer is typically found late stage. You don't get symptoms until it's spread. With screening, that number is down in the 60s, the low 60s. So lung cancer screening is a much bigger positive impact than all of the, the treatment things. And that's, of course, because most lung cancer is found when it's already spread. Uh, but with screening, we can find it when it's still a very early stage. And when it's early stage, it's less expensive to treat. It's easier on the patient to treat. And most importantly, um, it can be actually curative. If you find lung cancer when it's still small and hasn't spread, you can actually be cured of lung cancer. Um, so that's the key to all cancers, is to find them early when they're still small and treatable. Saving lives comes in many forms. Time and money is another invaluable saving that AI can offer. A May 2023 report published by McKinsey authors for CEPR, the Centre for Economic Research, shows that economic savings AI, at its current level, can afford the healthcare industry over the next five years. 200 to $360 billion annually, or 5 to 10% of spending. Because the economics of doing lung cancer screening are so compelling. It's, it's not only great for the patients, but if you're, say, the NHS, it actually saves you a ton of money to catch those cancers early. And that means you can treat more patients for the same cost. So from a population health point of view, screening makes a lot of sense. The challenge is that 
screening is a little bit tedious. Uh, kind of by definition, these are people who don't have anything wrong with them. Um, or in some cases, you find a nodule incidentally. There's an incidental pulmonary nodule. And so what Aidens developed uh, was a program they called VI for VI lung nodules, a sort of a visual eye that could help the physician uh, find these nodules. Uh, so it will pick up the nodules and then it will quantify them. And in the lung cancer field, there are guidelines that say, well, if a nodule is kind of of this shape and of this size, then there are criteria and, and next steps that you follow that can be programmed into a software or that can kind of be guided to the physician's next step. And so what Vi Lung Nodules does is it helps identify those nodules, measures them, and then can plug them into a separate program we call Vi Clinic that helps the doctors manage patients, sends out a reminder saying, hey, it's been three months or six months, or here's what the guidelines say you ought to do next with this patient. The measurement and the management turns out to be um, a really critical thing. And I would say we've seen this in other domains. The pixel AI is very much a wonderful new thing. The AI can analyze images and identify abnormalities and measure things in a wonderful way that's new, that wasn't possible a decade ago. It's true. Ten years ago, AI wasn't quite up to scratch compared to humans. Machine models only correctly recognized images, normal, non-medical images, 70% of the time. Humans, 95%. Only five years later, improved algorithms, better access to larger data sets and faster processors meant machines hit 96% accuracy. And yes, we're still at 95% now. Today, AI models are analysing medical images like MRIs, CT scans and X-rays with the same accuracy as clinicians. But only in certain use cases, and qualified medical professional expertise is still required to work in tandem. AI's interaction with medical professionals is one of constant debate. Fears that AI will be relied upon too much by doctors or de-skill them are apparent. Curtis Langlotz, MD, PhD and Director of the Centre for Artificial Intelligence in Medicine and Imaging, said, Artificial intelligence will not replace radiologists, but radiologists who use AI will replace radiologists who don't. Perhaps... Like other industries where AI is being integrated, the importance is around reskilling of the human system. So in a very controlled setting, the AI is better, but life is not controlled. That's the challenge with today's AI is it's not yet robust enough or sort of general purpose enough that it can take all that information and incorporate it the way we humans can. We know about the patient's history, what their family history might be. We know when they were last here. We know, for example, if they feel pain or if they've got a lump or something like that. And the AI doesn't know any of that. It's just given the pixels. If you remove all of that information from the human as well, and you just force the humans to do that small task the AI can do, then the AI actually does outperform the humans. It is, on average, better than the humans. But as I said, that's not the real world. That's not how medicine is practiced. And so that's why AI is still a tool to be used alongside the human. I'm old enough that when MRI came out, it was still called NMR. And the, the joke amongst us radiologists was the fear was that NMR really stood for no more radiologists, that it was going to be so easy to read an MRI that the neurologists and the neurosurgeons wouldn't need us and that we'd be obsolete. And in fact, the complete opposite happened. It made us more invaluable than ever because we were able to essentially reskill, as you said, 
and learn about this new technology and take it to new levels. And I think the same thing will happen with AI. There's this sense that we're not going to be needed anymore as radiologists. I think it's actually just the opposite, that as we uh, harness these technologies, we will indeed adapt and be able to do the things we know need to be done for healthcare. Alan, what's your view on this? I would say that overall, since time immemorial, I mean, medicine has always been a profession that has evolved to use and embrace new tools. And it sometimes takes time to find the best ways that expert caregivers can use those tools to basically maximally benefit their patients. If you think about, you know, when the thermometer was first introduced, it was probably a little bit controversial and it wasn't immediately adopted by everyone. But gradually over time, it found its place and eventually doctors who used thermometers outnumbered those who didn't. And I think with some types of uh, technologies like AI and medicine, there may be a very similar thing that gradually and carefully and thoughtfully, the right place for this sort of technology has to be found. But that ha that is usually something that's actually led by the experts who provide care to begin with. And so... With rigorous, careful, and thoughtful evaluation, it tends to be possible for these caregivers to find ways in which that technology is useful. And I think I would therefore look at this much more as a reskilling or a kind of an assistive tool, really, for expert caregivers rather than anything that seeks to replace human effort. There are a number of challenges that exist around AI adoption in healthcare. Some of it is around implementation that could continue to slow the rate of AI advancement. But as the technology advances, so do concerns over inaccurate diagnosis that could exacerbate health inequalities that already exist in the system. For example, images used to train AI algorithms for melanoma detection are predominantly, if not entirely, Caucasian. Yeah, this is a big challenge. And the melanoma example is a great one because what the melanoma example helped us realize is the AI definitely is trained on Caucasian skin and therefore is biased. But the reason that was the case is because all the textbooks were written that way. If you go back and look at all the textbooks, they're all filled with pictures, which is what was used to train the AI of white people's skin. And we're starting to see that just like human care has challenges, the AI sometimes has challenges. If the AI is only trained, say, on a certain race or a certain age, then when it, you bring that tool to a different race or a different age group, sometimes the AI doesn't work. Well, it turns out that happens in real life, but we often don't like to talk about it. I mean, there are many articles that have identified that there's plenty of racism in healthcare delivery, completely separate from AI. What frustrates everyone is no one wants to codify that or make it permanent in AI. And now that we can do things reproducibly, we can identify it and reduce it. And I think it's actually a good thing. We're holding the AI to a higher standard than we typically hold our average practitioner to. And that actually is raising the bar for all of us in healthcare. Um, if we're going to make AI that never uh, falls asleep on the job and is not racist and is uh, widely available and is consistent, well, that puts more pressure on us humans to make sure we're not doing any of those things either. All of us have these same shortcomings. But now that we've can scrutinize the AI, we can work and we have worked to try to reduce those biases. And I think it is working. The idea that limitations in healthcare at this brittle stage could cause harm goes against the Hippocratic Oath. Primum non nocere. First, do no harm. So in short, can you program the Hippocratic Oath into AI? 
I think there are benefits and risks to the uses of any technology and tools in healthcare. And there's usually two sides to any intervention or technology that could theoretically be beneficial, usually also has an accompanying potential for, for harm. I think there are many ways to think about how to mitigate that risk. And I think it has to be done at every stage of the technology's life cycle. So thinking about unintended adverse consequences, overtly possible, but also potentially difficult to imagine harms is really important from the very beginning when research is first being done, because then you can think about those and build them into the way that the systems are trained and evaluated. There's also a really important phase in moving from early stage research through to clinical implementation and actual use. You can think of this as the journey from code to clinic or from bench to bedside. That's so common for so many types of technology in, in healthcare. And at each stage of moving through those cycles, it's really important to build in a series of safeguards and careful assessments of safety at every stage. And a lot of this can be helped by thinking about safe ways in which to deploy the technology, safe intended uses for it. So a good example there, as I mentioned with MedPalm, would be for such a new technology, it's much lower risk to start using it in settings that don't involve decisions around diagnosis or treatment, for example. That immediately lowers the potential for lots of harm. Similarly, using new technology in ways that have experienced and expert oversight is another way that can help mitigate against the risk of harm. And then a third principle that's very important is careful and safe measurement. Finally, you know, we're also very lucky, particularly in countries like the UK, that there are very mature regulatory frameworks around the use of technology in healthcare. And those are also very helpful. Regulation is of paramount importance. One area of particular focus is the transparency and trust of AI models being built. We have priorities in regulation. This is Inma Martinez, chair of the multi-expert group at the Global Partnership on AI, which is a multi-governmental initiative within the AI community. And when I say we, I mean basically from the European Commission to the British government to the World Health Organization, the GPA. And the most important one is that if we use technology and AI, it's got to be done to promote a human well-being. This is what we say to improve the patient experience. And therefore, we need to assure human safety. We have to do it because it's of public interest. And then the systems that we use are developed responsibly with accountability because they cannot be black boxes that nobody knows how they function. For AI to work best, data is king. But when it comes to health, extra care needs to be taken around safety, data privacy, confidentiality, and protection for patients and citizens. The primary asset to protect in healthcare is patient data. And that is the bloodstream of every AI system that develops anything for healthcare. So it's incredibly valuable. It's important that if we digitize patient data, it's treated with governance, it's treated with accuracy, and that when an AI system is going to use it to detect diseases or predict the evolution of diseases, etc., we have assurance 
that this data is treated in a way that people have been treated with inclusiveness, with equity, that we ensure that whichever AI systems uh, are deployed can be transparent, meaning that they can explain themselves as to how they operate and reach conclusions, especially in diagnosis. So that's the framework. And of course, it's in an incredibly fragile and fragmented world and governments put regulation where protection is needed. So we do not want systems to operate in black boxes that nobody can challenge. That is especially one of the objectives of the European Union's AI directive. No black boxes. Another challenge is how lawmakers can find the right balance between offering the freedom to developers to innovate, but also regulate properly to protect the public. Well, I'll share something with you from the latest conversations that we're having in the Global Partnership on AI and at the United Nations. So far, governments and society in general have been forced to make AI safe. Okay, what about if we started to tell AI developing companies that they needed to deliver AI safe? AI safe from inception. Do not give us unsafe AI that then we need to start thinking how we're going to deal with this thing. Just like any other industry, the automotive industry for 70 years didn't think that had to be safe. Governments didn't put that objective into the industry, safety. In 71, they did. Okay. Everything, why we have level five automation cars that will eventually go through the roads is because of safety. In AI, is the same. We will ask companies to ensure that the way that the algorithms are trained, that the data sets that are used are according to what we need them to do with assurance. And then when that AI is commercialized, that the functionality, the usability, the conveniency of using that is in the public interest, is really delivering a benefit higher and above what the humans can do. It will not supplant the humans just because, because one of the objectives of all governments and organizations working now on AI directives is that humanity still has a very long and prosperous roadmap towards our splendor and cognition. Well, we will not put AI to become a wall for us not to continue expanding our cognition and achieving what our civilization seems to be going towards more ethical humans with more empathy, creating amazing things. The future is creativity. We're not going to stop it. So what will the next five years bring? It's such an amazing moment in AI that the progress we've seen in the past year has been so rapid that I think projecting forward even five months feels like quite an exciting thing to try and do. And in five years, potentially, we could see some really transformative advances in AI technology. One thing we'll definitely see is that health moves at the speed of trust. And that's a speed that is necessarily, you know, a bit slower and much more thoughtful than the speed at which research in AI itself progresses, of course. So if you look at a five-year horizon, I would imagine that many of the studies that involve Clinical experts deploying and using AI in real workflows will be published in this year, next year, and the year after. And that will allow time for caregivers, uh, healthcare systems to actually scale up the way in which these tools are used. So that's 
one thing I would expect is that AI will continue to find its right place into many clinical workflows where it's known to be safe and effective and helpful to people. You know, it'd be amazing if over the next five years, we can point to AI really giving back clinicians and patients the gift of time. That would be a, a fantastic thing. I think, you know, what we've been talking about today around how health and well-being is a core need for humanity. And we have substantial challenges, if you think at a global picture, around billions of people having access to this kind of expertise quickly, equitably, and in a timely way, you know, when they need it. And I think short of being able to somehow 10x or 100x the number of clinical experts and putting a clinical expert on the doorstep of absolutely every citizen on the planet doesn't feel immediately tractable. And so finding ways that we could use technology to scale up access to this kind of expertise feels a really noble and important mission. We will definitely put huge work and effort into data governance. We need to ensure that biometrics that are used, for example, for identification and for privacy, you know, they are really maintained under control and that AI is not widely used in cases where AI potentially fails. And in the last years of my career, I have worked more and more with governments and with big institutions because I believe that AI has an enormous potential to create a huge splendor and progress that is not just economic, but is really societal welfare. We can care for people better. We can make life less effortless. And then what we need to do is ensure that it is done for the highest benefit of everyone concerned. And if I have to see it in millions of meetings, speaking as to what can be done and what cannot and should not, that's what makes me work harder every day. And my relief, and I'll share this with you sincerely, I've never seen governments and institutions more focused in making sure that AI is a force for good. They learned their lessons with the unruly and lawful internet. And now they're not going to let that happen again to society and the most vulnerable. So I think I sleep better at night and I have more hope for the future. I mean, there's, it's a quote attributed to Bill Gates. I think that, you know, we're much worse than we think at predicting the next five years. We underpredict and we overpredict what's going to happen in the next six months. I'm sure I fall into that camp. It's very difficult to see what's going to happen that far out. For sure, what I hope happens is that AI becomes more widely available and that we find a sustainable way to deploy it. What I'd really like all of us in the field to focus on is building AI and developing and deploying AI that really attacks important problems. Can we find not just cancer earlier, but the dangerous cancers earlier? Can we find it in a way, and can we build AI in a way that makes it available to everyone? We're building AI, but one of the key challenges is can we build it sustainably? And that's what I hope we can do. I hope we can build AI that really makes a meaningful difference in people's lives. And we're starting to see that. The idea of distilling down centuries or, or at least decades of expertise into a piece of software and then embodying that and, and deploying that, that's still a really cool vision. And I think that's very possible. We'll be able to do that in the next five years. 
I hope so. I think we will for certain diagnostic areas. I was just in India last week. We met with the government. The idea that we could embody mammography AI into a mammogram machine and bring it to the literally hundreds of millions of women who are not being screened for breast cancer, even though two-thirds of cancer deaths in women are preventable. And they're not being prevented. But if we could build AI that was good enough to find breast cancer early, put it in an inexpensive mammogram machine, train the healthcare worker to deploy this thing in the field, we would be saving hundreds of thousands of lives. Like, I mean, not overnight, but you can see a line of sight to that in a way that even the coolest pharmaceutical, you know, would take decades to develop and deploy. And with AI, the opportunity to have impact at scale is just unparalleled. That's why I've spent my time doing it. I can't see a thing that can have more impact to help people faster than this field right now. It's a super exciting time to be working in this field. AI in healthcare offers life-changing benefits, from transforming detection and diagnosis in multiple disciplines, to increasing the efficiency of clinicians, and optimizing the allocation of resources, both technical and human. Detecting illnesses early is the difference between life and death. As the saying goes, prevention is better than cure. But there are risks, social, ethical, and within this sector, clinical. Potential errors could cause patient harm, built-in bias and an increased health inequality, which weigh heavily on some and not others. While increased concern over data privacy and security urge immediate discussion over transparency and trust of systems. Regulatory frameworks and codes of practice under discussion across various industries need to be extended to take into account healthcare-specific nuances. At the cutting edge of science and technology sits a tightrope, one that multiple industries and governments must walk across with expert care balancing the desire for a better, healthier and happier world with the potential to do more harm than good. It could be argued that no tighter rope needs to be trod than AI in healthcare.